to talk with you. Thanks for coming this morning. Um, intimacy with others is part of the series that we're going through, our core values. Uh, last month we talked about intimacy with God. And this month we're talking about intimacy with others. And there's really a direct connection. You know, Jesus said, and we read in Matthew 22, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he answers very clearly, and, and it's love. Love first for God in all of your being, heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Intimacy with God, what we talked about last month, really should lead directly to intimacy with one another. There's a, there's a, there's a progression there, and really a connection that uh, loving God and loving others are really like two sides of one coin. And so as we experience God's love... <clears throat> And as we love God, uh, it should motivate and empower us to love others. That, that's the way, really, we know that it's real. Okay, If God in us transforms us uh, to love others. I think that's what Jesus meant when he, when he connected those two and when He expressed that this is the first and great commandment and the second like it. And then as we love others, as we get into relationship, um, it will drive us to depend on God more and more, <laughs> all right, uh, for love. It's God needs to be the source of our love uh, for others, uh, and we can continually tap into, um, you know, His love. And one place in the Scripture it says, um, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so that love that's poured into our hearts is really the source of our love for one another. And that's what intimacy is. Okay? When we're talking about this word intimacy, it's a love. It's an intimacy with God. A love that bridges, spans every aspect of our being. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we are deeply intimate with God. And that is transferred then to an intimacy or love for others, the people in your lives. <clears throat> And that it's, uh, it's, it's one flows into the other. Um, the word fellowship is really um, a, a, a kind of like a key word in Scripture. And it's, um, uh, we find it here in Acts 2.42. It's, it's all throughout the New Testament. And that's really what we're going to talk about. I think fellowship is the word that is, uh, communicates the idea of intimacy with others. All right? And... Uh, uh, in Acts 2.42, this is after the uh, resurrection of, of Jesus and after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what you read about that in the first uh, couple of chapter of Acts. And uh, here, uh, uh, Peter had just preached the message to the crowds in Jerusalem and thousands of people had uh, gotten saved. And so this is really considered the beginning of the church. And this verse kind of encapsulates a picture. It's like a snapshot 
of New Testament Christianity in just a few words. It says, they continued steadfastly, they being all these people who responded to the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All the people who responded continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. <clears throat> and that fel- the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And it's one of the few Greek words that you really should uh, uh, get to know <clears throat> because it, uh, uh, um, it uh, so uh, uh, communicates uh, such a big part of what New Testament church is. So they continued in fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. <clears throat> Alright, I'm going to just uh, delve into it and describe or define what that word means. Uh, fellowship or koinonia means partnership. Alright? It's literally, it can be uh, translated participation. It means to communicate or communion. Uh, and so, fellowship, the word that Scripture describes as uh, or uses to describe the New Testament community is partnership. Uh, and, 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 you know, we look at church from a 21st century, a 20th century experience, <clears throat> and, you know, we think of church as going to a building where there's music that we like, and then listening to a teaching uh, that we at least, you know, can tolerate. <laughs> All right. Maybe a little coffee, got to have coffee, some donuts, <clears throat> and that's good. But it means much more than that. And, and the Lord used this word, uh, fellowship, intentionally because it's a, it's a big word. It has a, it's a big idea. Uh, one definition, one resource defines it as, as a fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation. And so that, that the word of, uh, of, of being a community and communicating, sharing, uh, joint participation. In other words, it's, if you're not participating in some way, you're not really experiencing koinonia. You're not experiencing fellowship. Uh, this is not a theater that you come just to observe. Uh, church is to be a, 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 a group of people that participate together. <clears throat> and so that's what we do. Now, Sunday morning particularly is uh, just one little tiny slice of what we do. Uh, and uh, uh, it, but it is like the on ramp. Sunday morning is like the on ramp that uh, opens up the opportunity for you to uh, get involved in many other ways. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, all right. If I could just do a favor, and Andy and uh, and 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 uh, Joe, could you please take that out into the foyer? Yeah, thanks so much. Bless you. They're praying for someone. If it's not distracting you, it's distracting me. <laughs> That's right. We love people getting prayed for and ministered to. <clears throat> All right. And that's part of Koinonia. All right. Uh, uh, that, that's an example of Koinonia where, where uh, uh, they're receiving and giving in the midst. It's a share which one has in anything. And so, if, if, you have a, if you buy stock in a company, and this is, this is how our economy works, a company sells stock, and so 
uh, the ownership of that company is actually shared by thousands of people. Right? That's how stocks work. And then if that company does well, they, everybody makes money. <clears throat> and if the company doesn't, well, it costs everybody. Well, that's the same idea that we have, but not just financially. It includes the aspect of our, of our, our, our lives, but it includes every aspect of our lives. That it's, it's the part that we own. Koinonia, fellowship, intimacy with others that I'm talking about, is that ownership we have in the community. Does that make sense? All right? And it can actually be translated intimacy. And this, this uh, uh, Thayer uh, dictionary uses that word to, to, to de- uh, describe the word koinonia, it's intimacy. And it does uh, apply to a joint contribution, a collection, a contri- uh, uh, contribution uh, as exhibiting the embodiment and proof of fellowship. In other words, the last part of the definition talks about financial contributions uh, as part of biblical fellowship as part of uh, the experience of, of being in the church. And if you read in Acts, that's exactly what they did. They literally brought whatever other people needed and shared everything, their material goods as well as their uh, relationship and their time. All of this is intimacy with others. It's what we're called to be as a New Testament church. <clears throat> now, the word fellowship is an archaic word. It's not something you use, you know. When you're at work, you don't talk about, you know, fellowship. Uh, if, if you maybe go to a particular kind of school, they might use the term fellowship, referring to something no one really knows what it means. <laughs> um, and so, <clears throat> it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I like the word friendship. I kind of wish a Bible, I haven't seen a Bible translate it this way, but uh, I think friendship kind of encapsulates uh, the idea of fellowship in our day. And, and just to give you a comparison, uh, the word borscht is, is not un, un, unfamiliar for most people. have heard the word, although I got surprised in the first service, only like three people had ever heard the word. Uh, how many have heard the word borscht? Yeah, well, okay. you guys are a lot better. So, <clears throat> that's how it's spelled, according to Google. <laughs> but everybody, most people are like, it's some kind of soup, you know? Not quite sure what's in it. <clears throat> well, I, I was in, it's a Ukrainian soup, uh, and, and popular in that whole region of the country. And I ate borscht every day for, the, every day I was in that country, because it's all they eat. Uh, and, um... And so you might, well, I kind of think I know it's some kind of soup. Well, if I told you a cabbage soup, that makes a lot more sense. Because the one ingredient that's found in boars from the resources that I've researched and my experience of traveling all over the Ukraine and eating boars every single day <laughs> was that no matter what else was in there, there has to be some cabbage. And so, like fellowship, oh, that's a word I think I know it means. You know, I just want to use a word that we all understand, and that's friendship. <clears throat> and hopefully, let's, I want to change your idea, or maybe inform your idea a little better about what, what we're called to live, uh, this, this term fellowship, and, and how that should uh, uh, be lived out in our day, in, in our church. And so, I see fellowship as being friendship with purpose. 
All right? And the purpose is uh, following Jesus. It's friendship on purpose or friendship motivated by a purpose. And uh, <clears throat> I want to share an Old Testament example and then talk about a New Testament example. And in Old, the Old Testament, I could have picked a lot of different examples, but the one that came to mind was Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? So Daniel... Uh, and his friends were living in Israel at the time that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, conquered that nation and took all the inhabitants, or almost all of the inhabitants, back to Babylonian, uh, Babylon and, uh, as captives. But when he did that, he destroyed the city and, and took them all captives. And, and that's a, that was a terrible event. You know, if you were Daniel... Or Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and all the people that lived at that time. Your homes were destroyed. Your whole nation was destroyed. You lost everything. And then you were dragged off as prisoners of war into another country to live there. You were, you were displaced. You were refugees, as it were. But you were, you were moved uh, forcefully from your home country. But... <clears throat> And then it's that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and others were selected. Nebuchadnezzar was, was brilliant, and a part of his strategy was to take some of the people from all the different nations that he conquered, brought them back to Babylon, and then integrate them into the society. And so he selected the smartest ones and uh, uh, trained them up. So, in one sense, it was a very horrible experience, but in another sense, Daniel and his friends got the royal treatment, literally. It's like they got a free ride scholarship to Harvard, you know, uh, uh, and in a guaranteed position if they passed as, you know, government officials. <clears throat> and so, um, but that was also a test because now Daniel and his friends who were uh, Jews, were Hebrews, worshipers of uh, Jehovah, were... Uh, 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 forced into this completely heathen, uh, a pagan culture, and then selected and to be placed in the, in the palace and to be trained to be part of the enemy's government. All right? So it's kind of an interesting place, an interesting test. Uh, and this is how they responded. Daniel and his friends purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And you can read the whole story. The story's better than the sermon. The book is better than the movie, right? The book is better than the sermon. Read the whole story in Daniel. Uh, I just chopped it down because I wanted to highlight this one aspect of it. That Daniel and his friends <clears throat> chose to, uh, they purposed in their heart to live differently in the midst of what really was a test or a trial. Uh, not just the, the, the conquest of war, but being placed in the palace and being in that uh, culture, of a uh, pagan culture amongst the best and the brightest being trained up. But he, uh, Daniel was motivated. He purposed in his heart. And I think that's a big part of... of uh, I'm tying that into how to have community, how to have fellowship, how to have friendship with purpose, is that you have to have purpose, okay? That was the motivation, and their purpose was to not be defiled. Or, uh, uh, th that was the specific motivation, that they didn't want to lose their identity. They didn't want to lose who they were, 
by just being melded into the pagan culture that they had been uh, forced into. All right? And so they had to find some way to participate. They weren't saying, no, we won't do this. No, we're going to run off or we're going to uh, you know, hide in the hills or we're going to uh, 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 reject everything. No, they actually were like, yeah, okay, we'll study, we'll learn. We'll be part of this system. Uh, but we need to be different. Because there was a purpose in their heart. Um, for Daniel, the purpose that, or the, the, the way that they chose to manifest that difference was their diet, how they ate. Because they realized it would differentiate themselves and enable them to pass the test. That they knew that they were being tested. Their, their life was, was in a place of challenge. Uh, <clears throat> and their diet, abstaining from the delicacies and abstaining from the, 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 the wine... Uh, would enable them to have a clear difference and remain true to their purpose. Um, it wasn't merely keeping the Old Testament dietary laws, right? Because wine was actually a big part of Old Testament uh, celebrations. And eating of meat was actually central, <laughs> okay, to many of the religious festivals in uh, the Old Covenant. But they chose to abstain from um, uh, meat and from drinking of wine, uh, or the king's delicacies, however you define that, because it, the, they asked to be served only vegetables, during this time of training, as a way to differentiate uh, themselves. They didn't want to eat what everybody else was eating, or drink what everybody else was drinking. And so, <clears throat> and here they were, in the best college, if you will, of the day. And I compared, you know, think of it as, you know, hanging out with the college crowd, but not going to Taco Bell. Is that where college people go nowadays? I have no idea where college people go. Not going to Bell's. How's that? <laughs> there you go. We're not going to drink Oberon. What? <laughs> you know, they, they took, we'll hang around you guys. Well, we're not going to drink what you drink. We're not going to eat your drink. Why not? Well, because we want, we want. There was nothing to say that you're bad. It's to 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 communicate that we're different, all right, and to help them preserve their own identity, all right. So, in doing that, they found a way. That was, I think, that was. It, it's not about the food, is what I'm saying. All right, it's about they had a purpose that was motivating their heart. And they wanted to stay true to their identity. And that helped them stay true to their identity. Right? And then the triumph came a little bit later. It says, as for these four youth, Daniel and the other three, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king commanded that they should be brought in, it says, in every manner of wisdom, matter of, of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And so they, uh, they prospered. They did well. They not only did well, they were the best. They were ten times better than everybody else. Um, <clears throat> and I see in this a biblical example of friendship or of fellowship and that they had shared purpose. They chose not to be defiled, to maintain their integrity. And they did that because they had a, uh, a purpose. They were pursuing their purpose throughout the time of testing and through triumph because they, they actually triumphed but then other testing came. And you can read more about it in the book of Daniel. 
I kind of see, if you, if you stretch it a bit, maybe, uh, but I see a picture of Koinonia. I see a picture of New Testament church uh, uh, where they, they endured a life together in a culture that was contrary to their standards, but they prevailed. And not only that, they influenced that culture. And you know, Daniel is still influencing the culture because his book is part of the best-selling book of all time. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> I think it's amazing. <clears throat> all right. Well, another example of a group of men that lived together, suffered together, and triumphed together would be the disciples. And we read in, in Matthew 26, and there's lots of things that happened during the, uh, their lives together. Uh, one of the things that... Um, uh, I think it's good to keep in mind is that Jesus called people uh, of different uh, backgrounds. You know, Peter was a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. They were politically probably one against another. I mean, they were on opposite sides of the political fence as well as the other disciples. There was a, quite a bit of diversity within even the group of twelve. And he called them to live together. And through the times that they lived together, they, they literally spent 24-7 traveling with Jesus town to town. <clears throat> but we see at the end where the testing really comes to its, its high point. And this is after uh, Jesus uh, uh, was at the, near the end of his uh, ministry and he's about to be arrested and then tried and crucified. <clears throat> it says in that hour, Jesus said to the multitude, that this multitude would have been the group of people that came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, have you come out as against a robber with swords and a club to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this is done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then we see his group, Jesus' best friends, as you were. <laughs> they all, all the disciples, forsook him and fled. So what did the disciples do at the moment of greatest test? They ran! You know, after all that, I mean, think of it. They saw Jesus speak to dead bodies, and those dead bodies got up. They saw Jesus lay hand on blind people, and the blind people saw. They saw the crowds just a few days earlier shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, as Jesus rode in on the donkey. Wow, this is it! Now it's not! Run away! Alright? So they're tested. <clears throat> Another test is shortly after this is now a few, uh, uh, a bit of time later. This is after Jesus was crucified. I'm sure that shook them. Here their hero was dead and buried. Um, and and uh, so the same day, I mean, even the first day of the week when the doors were shut, uh, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. And so the disciples actually were, were hiding it's interesting that they were still together, though. You know? They were hiding together. Uh, but they were afraid. They were afraid because they saw what happened to Jesus and they knew that their names were next on the list. Because if they went after Jesus, the Jewish authorities are going to go after them. And what are they going to do? So they're hiding. The door was locked. <laughs> okay? And Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Hey, Shalom. Peace. Peace. I just think it's a beautiful picture of koinonia. 
Alright? That they've been through testing. And Jesus comes into the place. I'm sure they were all ashamed of what they did. But it's what they did. And now what are they going to do? And Jesus comes in and the first thing out of his mouth is shalom. It's going to be alright. Shalom not only means peace, it means you're going to prosper. <clears throat> it means fullness. Completeness. And then we see that worked out in their lives. It says, and then those who gladly... This is now uh, a bit of time later after the Holy Spirit came and Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out and uh, Peter preached to the thousands of uh, the crowds and multitudes in Jerusalem and 3,000 of them got saved. Um, and then it, it continues on. It says, those who gladly received his word... Uh, Peter's words as he was preaching were baptized and that day 3,000 souls were added to them. Um, and that's the verse preceding the verse I, I read earlier about fellowship. That's considered really the, the beginning of the church. That, those 3,000 people were 3,000 people that responded to the message that this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Savior. All right, That He is the Messiah that's come. And, and thousands of people responded to that message. And that's the beginning of what we call church. Okay, uh, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. And so that then describes what they continued in. And one of the things I want us to understand uh, the significance of fellowship, the significance of koinonia, the significance of living in intimacy with a group of of strangers, if you will. <laughs> okay, is that how this fits into the big story of the Bible? All right, and that from from the promise to Abraham, we can even go back to the promise to Eve of a, of a deliver, you know, some of the crush Satan's head. But and then the promise to Abraham of uh, of descendants and and the, the lineage of Jesus Christ. That the whole story of the Old Testament is about this family, the descendants of Abraham, basically over these centuries and centuries, bringing about two things: bringing about the Word of God that was communicated by Moses and delivered down through <clears throat> faithfully all through those centuries, but also the, the, the child of promise, the Messiah, the seed, right? Does this make sense? And so that story of the whole Old Testament was, was about that family and how they interacted and related and everything that happened to that family. But then it comes to Jesus, alright? And after Jesus, there are no more genealogies, alright? And there's a reason for that. Okay? Because what is birth is something new. And it's, and it's, it's going to need its church. Right? And I'm not saying church replaces the Israelites because the Israelites didn't do what, Jesus, what God wanted them to. And that's like this little funny uh, theology that some people think. <clears throat> and it's not quite right. Because Israel did what God wanted them to do. And that was to deliver the Word of God communicated by faithful witnesses throughout the centuries and produce the Messiah, the seed, the promised one, okay? which is Jesus. And so it's the fulfillment of everything promised in that old covenant is fulfilled and brought to what? You know what it's brought to? You! The church. And every, every church all over the world Spanning all of the time. And now the story is about us. Alright? 
And we learn, Paul says in one place, that everything that happened to them was written for our benefit. Well, who does he mean by our benefit? That's in Corinthians. That's us! The church, living out the promise. Living out in fulfillment. Living out as messengers of Messiah. Alright? And so this koinonia is huge because it is, it is the topic I see uh, of, of the story until Christ returns. And, but really, it's even beyond that because it's in that that Jews and Gentiles are brought together and live in uh, unity forever. <clears throat> so, i got to hurry. <laughs> so the disciples went through times of testing and triumph and it enabled them to establish a community of fellowship. And that's what we call the church. And, and Paul describes that. <clears throat> And in his, his book to the Philippians, he's describing what church is all about. And it says this, says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship, koinonia, of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done uh, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only uh, for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is talking to a church about what it means to be church. And he uses this as really a, a, a fleshing out, if you will, or a, a filling out uh, explanation of what life together, koinonia, is all about. And there's, there's four main ideas. There's being like-minded, being of one accord, being in unity, like Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they had a purpose, that they were unified, like the disciples. They, they, they had a purpose, even though they went through testing, they knew what kept them together. <clears throat> the same thing, that we have to understand why we are together. And that unity is really our shared relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. All right? And the church united, listen, changes the world. It has in the past. It is right now. Believe it. It's happening. And it will. Um, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than themselves. And so it's just a removal of anything and everything selfish. Uh, living in Koinonia, living as Christ's followers, uh, we are the people who put away selfishness all right, and choose to esteem or honor others. Now certainly, you know, that would be us. Honor one another. Yeah. Okay? More than yourself. But you know, we're to, we're to love on and we're to treat people outside of the church in the same way. And that's how they are brought in. They go, wow, what you have is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's called, it's, it's called church. It's called fellowship. It's called living Christ-like. Oh, so we esteem others. We remove selfish uh, motives, but, but we replace it with an honoring and esteeming of others. It says, let, <clears throat> third main idea is let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And I love this balance. It doesn't mean that you don't care about your own interests or your own priorities, but that you, you look out for others' interests. Now, let me ask you. <clears throat> How are you going to know what other people are interested in if you don't take time to know them? All right? You have to 
You know, esteeming others means that you value them. Yes. And you need to value them enough to include them into your life. And actually share your life with them. And I would like to challenge you. And I hope you take this personally. (laughs) Make a friend. Have someone over to your house. Regularly. You know, it's it's funny. When I say that here, there's a... There's a tangible pushback. <laughs> I can, like, after first service, I had several people come to me and say, that was uncomfortable. I mean, part of that is just because we're Midwesterners. And there's, I've, I've talked to people who've moved here from other parts of even the U.S. And they go, you know, it's really weird. Like, I've, I've never been invited to anybody else's house. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's just kind of the way we do things here. Uh, I think it's the winters. Think that, you know, we, we learn how to keep the doors closed. <laughs> but, you know, we need to open up. And, and people are like, well, I don't like to invite people to my house because it's dirty. It's okay. Their house is probably dirty, too. And even if it's not, humble yourself. And you know, it's just it's not about that. It's not about that. Right? Meet at a park. Go out to eat. Spend time together. Get to know one another. Alright? So that you develop koinonia. You know, and if someone doesn't have time for you, that's okay. There's someone else that's waiting. That's waiting. For a phone call. Or an email. Or a minute. And by golly, there's thousands of people that you work with, that you drive by, that are hungry for it. And this is what we're supposed to have. Yeah. So, we need to invest in one another. And ultimately, this is an expression of being Christ-like. Let this mind be in you, which was in... Uh, also in Jesus Christ. Well, how did Jesus do this? He actually went around and went up to people and said, hey, come live with me until I die. And then share what you learn from me with other people. He demonstrated it, didn't he? Yeah, he did. All right? He was willing to share everything. Uh, and that's being Christ-like. It's living a, like, a life <clears throat> like Him. Uh, that's part of following Him. Is, is living in koinonia. And we're called to intimacy with one another as an expression of our relationship, intimacy with God. Graham, could you close in some form of response? <laughs> All right, thank you. Let's stand together as we close out our service this morning. So we've heard this morning about fellowship and about friendship and uh, living in uh, relationship with each other um, as a church and then also um, expressing that friendship um, to those around us um, that we work with, neighbors in our community and uh, to our wider uh, city. So we just want to spend a moment in prayer as we finish this morning's service. Just a time of response to the sermons, to the word that we've heard this morning. So I'm just going to pray for us this morning. Uh, So join with me in prayer and we'll just kind of reflect and pause and meditate for a moment on uh, what's been shared with us. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are so motivated by relationship that Um, Your deep love has called each one of us 
into a relationship with you. And God is an extension of your love. We look to live in relationship and closeness and friendship uh, with each other. And God, I pray that you would um, just speak to each one of us this morning. Uh, That you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and just allow us to think about the ways in which we can follow you and follow you in in this idea of friendship and in, in closeness of relationship, God. And that we confess, Father, it's often difficult for us in, in our culture to find the time and the space for each other. And God, we want to repent for that because often we don't live putting other people first, God. Often we are so easily tempted to put ourselves first uh, with our time and with everything that, that we have going on in our lives, God. And would you help us to find those places in our lives where we can put others first, we can share our lives with others. And God, we know by your grace and and your strength that you'll help us to do that. So Father, we just look to you to encourage us and help us. To help us in this friendship, this idea of fellowship together. Thank you, God, for your strength, for your grace, as we like to live for you, God, and uh, to live in relationship with others. Thank you, God, for this time this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have a prayer need, we have a prayer team over on this side, and they'd be glad to pray with you for, for any need that you have. And we also have a prophetic team trained to hear God's voice, and they'd be glad to share a word with, uh, with one or two folks, and they'll meet over on this side. Uh,